Welcome back to the Exchange for Entrepreneurs podcast. I'm your host, James Black, and this week we're discussing esports with Ben Pfefferman. Now, Ben is actually a repeat guest. He was one of our moderators on an event a couple years ago now called Esports The Sequel, What Investors Can Expect for 2021 and Beyond. And that topic of beyond is where we're situated today. At that time, Ben asked some very telling and pressing questions about the industry to his peers in the esports sector. And let me play those now and we'll come back to it in just one moment. There's a lot of volatility in, you know, for esports companies that are publicly traded. Could be that a lot of them are small caps, could be because of COVID. Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's one single publicly traded esports or gaming company, again, not including game publishers, that's eat that that's got positive EBITDA, right? Now, in hindsight, those were great questions to ask. And this has been an industry that has had some significant headwinds over the last year and a half since we recorded that session. So today we're going to talk to Ben about, you know, the opportunities that are still available in the esports sector. It's not dead by any stretch of the imagination, but there are some fundamentals that do need to be considered as this industry seeks growth in 2023 and beyond. So join me today with Ben as we discuss esports, the capital markets and what lies ahead. Enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined by Ben Pfefferman. Ben is uh, known for many things, but in particular, his uh, industry experience in the esports space. Ben, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yes, our pleasure. And the reason, Ben, I wanted to have you join the show today, because I know you from your life at Amuka, but um, you've done a lot of things since then. Um, and we've connected on the esports thing for, I guess, the last four years. If you take a look back, um, I think of what most investors probably think of four years ago when there was a huge hype curve. I remember there was this new zoo report that came out that was talking about, you know, this stratospheric growth numbers and eyeballs and people coming into the esports space. A lot of money came into the sector, invested into esports startups. Some of these companies went public. And uh, today it's not such a rosy picture. So maybe just for our listeners who weren't on that ride, can you des- describe to me what the, uh, the the life of the esports industry has been over the last few years as you've seen it yeah sure i mean while we talk about so let's just define esports for people who don't know yeah Uh, when we talk about esports we we are referring to people who are playing video games competitively at at a competitive level so the general video game industry is a 160 170 billion dollar industry that's all the companies that make the games publish the games Etc. But when we talk about esports, which is still a very small subsect of that bigger industry, call it a billion or billion or so. Um, yeah, that's what we're talking about. So people who, who are playing games at a competitive level. Uh, so the industry started. You go. You can go back to the '70s when people were playing, you know, video games um, competitively in different capacities. But really, it ramped up with the internet, with multiplayer and things like that. And the investment, I think, really started to pour in. You know. In the past, uh, really ten years, where now there's an audience, and now these big esports events are broadcasted on ESPN and filling filling hundred thousand person stadiums, and everyone's excited. I mean, I think it was a big um, report in. I, I really think the climax was you have the Fortnite, which is one of the mo- most popular games. Uh, it's you have the championship at Arthur Ashe Stadium. A sixteen year old kid wins a million bucks, and it's like wow. You know, this thing is off its rockers. Um, and yeah, and everyone wants to cash in on what, what's new and what's sexy. Yeah, absolutely. And so 
I look at a company like Phase Clan, which is uh, not listed on the CSE. It's listed on NASDAQ. And that's, that's a company that's had to battle through some you know sentiment with its own shareholders. And what I'm observing as someone that came into this four years uh, as, as, as really excited. I played video games growing up. Obviously, uh, I'm, I'm too old and slow to be good at some of these online games. But um, I could see the bet. I could see it. Like in Vancouver, we, we had this tipping point when I was living there. Uh, they had, a, I think, a Dota 2 tournament. Those who follow esports know Dota, and this thing packed the same stadium that packs the hockey team, the Vancouver Canucks. And so you're going, okay, there's something here. There's something here. But then you start looking, you know, a few years down the road, and, and even through COVID, the numbers were actually heading in the wrong direction. And you wonder if maybe that um, the metrics or the fundamental business model that was being applied here, it's not just a game of eyeballs, but our sponsor dollar is going to come in. Or can you get people to pay to watch this content? Can you get people to actually go physically back into spaces to follow? So from your perspective, and maybe you can tell us what you're doing at your current uh, current gig, but you know what is what is the tangible business model in esports that people can really sink their teeth into that would make an investor or someone who follows the industry financially get excited? Yeah, sure. A lot to unpack, but in one word, it's sponsorship. So over 70% of revenue from the esports industry comes from sponsorship. Now, if you were to sort of draw the comparison between esports organizations and traditional esports organizations, traditional sports, you know, let's call it in the major franchise leagues, NFL, NHL, NBA, et cetera, you have definitely you have your sponsorships. Um, you have and but you have ticket sales, which which generate a big, you know, a big part of that revenue. On the esports side, that's almost like nothing. It's almost nil. So, you know, I think it's a little bit different. And and maybe that's one of the reasons that pretty much in North America, there aren't any publicly traded sports organizations, right? I mean, yeah, you can argue, uh, you know, Bell and Rogers own MLSC, you know, like, but there's no pure play with sports. Uh, and they tried. I think the Celtics were publicly traded at one point. The Green Bay Packers, it's a whole weird thing. Um, And I think one of the reasons is that, you know, sports and esports, these are appreciating assets that are doing great. And I would still argue that, you know, that esports franchises that were purchased even in Call of Duty and Overwatch leagues are great assets. But the P&L might not look good. You know, operationally, these leagues are still ramping up. And so there's a lot, lot of red ink. And that's not really reflective on financials where these franchise slots are very valuable and will appreciate significantly, but short term, there's going to be a lot of red ink as they work out media rights, sponsorship deals, and try to figure out how to get ticket sales. Right. And I've always thought of it in the terms of what is, you know, hockey is hockey. You're playing with a puck and sticks and it's on a regulated ice surface and, and all that. Um, Esports sort of has this buffet of different games that can be used as the core um, playing field. Right. So, um, obviously I mentioned Dota and there's, there's Call of Duty and there's all sorts of different games. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, how, how has the esports industry managed that? I, I'm going to call it a problem where how do you build enough of a platform off a single game, um, you know, like Overwatch, like, uh, which had, you know, quite an organized league and system to, um, you know, catalyze it, to make it clear that, okay, there's enough industry here in this one game. Or is it the other side where it's all about the talent and wherever they go? Like, I, I still can't understand the industry from that perspective. So right. many options. So in, actually, in the case of the Overwatch League, the owners are, are, tr- are trying to sue the league, you know, Activision Blizzard. <laughs> right. and, and, and I think they're right to do that. Um, 
if none of your teams in your league are financially viable, then you need to change the terms. And these contracts, which are shockingly very secret, even though most of the game publishers, except for Valve, are all publicly traded companies, um, have not really been released. So number one is I think the esports teams, which again do reflect a lot of the publicly traded companies, need to do need to band together and get a better deal from the game publishers. Um, and then the second part is they should also and are diversifying. Don't put all your eggs in, into one game. Great. Oh, you know, Call of Duty is a great game right now. And I do think it'll be around in 10 years as a top game, but it might not. And so I think as just like you would in any industry, you need to diversify. And I think teams um, are looking to then place their bets in multiple leagues so that um, they can, in a way, play one off the other and make sure they're not at risk to changing tastes in in, in games. Yeah. Do you have a particular uh, league or game that you at least have good prospects for? Yeah. I mean, in general, mobile. Mobile is massive. Wow. The numbers, especially in regions outside North America, games like Free Fire, games like PUBG Mobile. Um, that's, you know, PCs are limiting to, you know, North America, Europe, and, you know, groups that have, you know, higher disposable income to afford high-end gaming PCs. Mobile is played by the everyday man everywhere in the world. So uh, mobile titles are going to be very strong. Um, so what, what I'm doing with Gamer Saloon, and we have a team, Dot City Gamings, we're actually focusing on sports, which is the audience is way smaller, um, but it's a very niche and strong community. And I think the same thing with other you know communities, whether it's fighting games um, or Smash, um, the biggest, splashiest games may not always have the best ROI for you. And sometimes when you find and able to uh, specialize in niche games and niche communities, you can monetize that fan base much better. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And I know the issues around Smash Brothers and Nintendo and some litigious stuff going on there where uh, it's hard for people to independently organize tournaments uh, around this game. Now, that aside, you know, we're talking about pure competition. There's ancillaries around this. So when I look at like Enthusiast Gaming or some of these other sort of umbrella gaming companies um you know what are some of the other areas of the business where you see uh growth potential or at least you know uh, as an investor something that interests you um uh, on the ancillary side so you, you take it from there yeah sure um a lot of companies are moving a little bit away from the competitive side and moving to content so mm. what that means is signing content creators that are putting out videos on twitch and youtube and then monetizing them through brand deals a much better business model. Um, I'll, I'll just anecdotally, you know, I have yeah. I have four kids. Three of them are, you know, watching sh- gaming, you know, online content. Um, I can't pay them to watch Netflix. They only want to watch Minecraft videos and and Roblox videos and things like that. And they're, and I'll say, it, they're seven and six, right? So th- that's this generation that's just starting to watch online content. Um, have zero interest in scripted, you know, cartoons and things like that. So. Uh, those verticals are are really great. Um, talent agencies are great. So managing influencers, online tournament platforms. I think things that feed the grassroots um, communities or that feed sort of everyday gamers are going to have a much bigger, um, much bigger opportunity. Um, so we're seeing a lot of online tournaments and leagues. Uh, those verticals, I think, are going to have a lot of potential. Yeah. What about stadium experiences? Because I know my son's the same way. He's eight years old. Uh, and he's constantly on his iPad and he's not watching, as you said, 
you know, He-Man or anything that we grew up watching. He's, uh, he's watching, you know, I guess almost like reality TV stuff like, uh, Jesser, or I, I'm trying to keep up with everything, dude, perfect stuff like that. And I mean, these guys look like they're doing pretty good financially. (laughs) So I can imagine the, uh, the content side on this whole business is pretty exciting. I mean, even Mr. Beast, I believe, didn't he get a start as a Minecraft, uh, YouTuber? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Big gamer. Yeah. 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 So I wish someone paid me as a kid to uh, play games and watch um, me stream. <laughs> um, we all do. That's the dream. Yeah. They're living the dream, these kids. It is. But, uh, you know, it's sort of the dark side of the business as far as I uh, observed was talent curation in this business. So getting the the people who are the best uh, and then those people maintaining their position as the best, you know, every generation of Michael Jordan comes along or LeBron James and they play 20 years or whatever, and they're the best. Um, and then below them is a lot of great players as well, but they have long careers. And, and in esports, I think what's been difficult, not only because you're a human, but also then you're an online persona and you have a different name and all this, but it's very competitive to keep up and keep your skills um, sharp in this sector. And I wonder if you've seen or, or share my observation, which is it's very difficult to ha- maintain that, um, that level of um, talent in the leagues. Whereas, as you just mentioned, some of these people just go off, uh, I think a Nasher and, and someone who's a big NHL yeah. YouTuber, the guy's just going and playing YouTube or by himself for most of the time, cutting videos, and he's very successful. Why would he bother trying to compete? Do you see that as a problem as far as the talent curation and trying to keep up that high level of um, you know player versus player competition? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a problem. I would just say it's a different system. I mean, yeah. in esports, again, you would think, okay, there's just they're sitting at a computer or at a console, they're playing games. They they must be able to do this for 20, 30 years. It's actually the opposite. Yeah. Is that your response times significantly drop off way faster and your ability to compete is much shorter. So the good thing for an esports player is that let's say you can compete at your at your highest level for I'm gonna be honest, it, it's like two, three years. Um, two, three, four years on average. Um, but then, you know, you build up a great following and there's an easier transition to sort of life after esports, and that's as a content creator and so or or a caster analyst. Like there's so many way, so many areas that you can go in post a professional career. I would say for traditional sports athletes, if you're a great uh defensive lineman for you know for the dolphins. I don't know. You're not sort of guaranteed, you know, a good career after you're done playing. And I think that's the challenge that, you know, traditional athletes have is what does life look like after basketball? Not all of them can move up to front office jobs or work in the media versus with esports. It's very easy, that transition. So, again, there's pros and cons to both systems, but that's the main difference between the two. Yeah, no, fair enough. You know, any any trends, again, I'm thinking as an investor, I'm thinking of someone in the public markets that either directly will impact growth in esports or or maybe will contribute to growth in other ways um you know for for this sector yeah a lot of trends you mentioned mr beast let's start with that so <laughs> i i think there's going to be a trend where individual personalities are going to be raising capital for their media entity and mr beast he threw a i can't remember if it was a billion valuation or two billion something like that um but that's a brand that everybody wants to get in. And so if I had the opportunity to invest in 100 Thieves or FaZe, some of the top esports organizations, or Mr. Beast, Tim the Tapman, Dr. Disrespect, some of the top you know, info, gaming influencers, I'm taking the influencers. 
because they've already proved out their model um, and they've built a great empire that's very authentic with their own brand. So that's one is that individual creators, we're already seeing that they're building their own massive studios. And so that's going to be a big trend where those are going to be the next, I think, future companies is investing in them. Second is that we talked about, you know, game publishers having too much control and too much control over the IP teams and other orgs are really going to be creating their own games. And whether it's Dr. Disrespect in his own studio, hundred thieves creating a game, people are, I've had enough of sort of the, the big three, you know, Activision, Blizzard and Sony and Microsoft controlling too much of this ecosystem are saying we're going to do it ourselves. And so I think, those new, maybe call them indie studios or gaming studios, um, are going to start to take more share of the market. Um, and then I'll throw out maybe one wild card that maybe you know you didn't hear before. There's apps like Zwift, for example, that are really gamifying the fitness industry. I think that intersection between health, fitness, and gaming is still very much in its infancy. And let's say you know if you and I want to. Firstly, I find going on the treadmill to be the most boring activity in the world. Right. But hey, you know, let's say you and I, we could go for a run and you look like you're in pretty good shape. So I would see you go faster and I'd have to work hard to chase and catch up to your avatar that I'm watching in real time and customized and all that. And we can run on anywhere in the world. So gamifying just in general or even at the competitive level, um, that intersection between health and gaming is going to be massive. And I think that's where investors would want to be yeah no fair enough i know in peloton they have uh not that i use it as often as you might think the um there is almost like a game they have in there now where you're trying to hit certain almost like a rhythm game looks like guitar hero um for those of you that know that game so yeah it's (laughs) we're at that point now where everything's sort of been quantified gamified and then you know maybe this human competition thing kicks in a little bit and we all want to we're all gamers at heart uh is the way i look at it so I think there will always be an industry there. It's just, as you said, it's gotten so heavy at the top, you know, with the Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo stuff and them trying to buy everyone, specifically uh, Microsoft, um, that, you know, at some point, an independent move it will, will likely have to come through to uh, recapture what they've lost um, because they've just gone so broad with how they develop products. Um, yeah. Okay. And yeah. just to add, sorry, can I, if I can yeah. squeeze uh, just the fourth one in there is... Uh, everyone, I think, really understands the need to sort of better empower the creator economy. And so mm. tools that help, you know, we're, we're using StreamYard right now. I think tools and technologies that help improve, help, you know, creators monetize better. And even for players, you know, what we're doing, you know, Gamer Saloon is, you know, you can make a living, you know, playing Madden and other games, um, you know, for money. So I, I think... I think that's the trend is to empower everyone to sort of be able to monetize better in whatever they're doing, whether it's playing esports competitively, casually, or creating their own content. Yeah, hundred percent. And in my own little addiction, this is a little uh, um, admission here on the show is that I've actually fell into uh, really following retro gaming podcasts over the last year. Nice, that's great. Just, yeah, yeah, just because man, I that's what I grew up with. Uh, I think most people of my vintage, you know, I'm around forty. It's you grow up uh, having that experience in your basement playing these games and, you know, then in college and then you start losing time because you have families, as you mentioned, and it, uh, but it's, it's satisfying to kind of go back and just recollect on these things. And uh, it, to me, again, it's, it's such a great medium and um, hopefully that purity of, of that experience continues to, to go forward with my children and others where 
in my in my heart, I think the best part of gaming is the social aspect of it. Was having friends with you, or even being online and having a positive ex- experience. And um, I, I would think just as if we can keep that going and be a part of this and not completely ruin it through commercialization, <laughs> we might get somewhere. So. Um, yeah, yeah. My PSA for the day. Well, Ben, uh, any last things you want to plug or, or, uh, points you want to make before we sign off for the show? Um, no, that's it. Um, you can check out, uh, you know, gamersaloon.com. That's one of the platforms, um, that I'm working on as well as dot city gaming, which is our esports team. And you can find me on social media. Most of the time it's at Boca Ben, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. Thank you again for listening to the Exchange for Entrepreneurs podcast, a proud presentation from CNSX Markets, Inc., operator of the Canadian Securities Exchange. As a reminder, the viewpoints on this show do not reflect those of the exchange and are solely those of the guests and do not constitute investment advice. For more information about the exchange, its services, and listed companies, please visit www.thecsc.com. Until the next show, thank you for listening, and don't forget to hit the like or subscribe button on your favorite listening platform. Thank you so much.